Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box. Bitch-ass white boy, Tyler Bischoff. It was reported that the Cleveland Indians have decided to remove the term Indian from their name. And Adam Candy. Yet we're cool calling the only black people in Utah the Jazz. On ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Candy in today for Ed Graney. We will hear from Ed Graney later this hour. So stay tuned from important updates. We got to see if he knows how to work his binoculars because that's the only way you can actually figure out what's happening at Raiders practice. Ed will be out there again today and tomorrow. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Oh, Tyler, things could not be better. Really? Uh, I saved an extra tortilla from my Cafe Rio order last night. And I had that tortilla for breakfast today, and that was one fantastic tortilla. I have a feeling this day is going to be great. Okay. Uh, I think we might share an affinity for Cafe Rio tortillas. Those things are amazing. Oh, God. It's like a little pillow of heaven that just slides right down. It's, it's wonderful. And you can order like just an extra tortilla with whatever your actual order is. So you can save it for the next day or use it with whatever food you're eating right then. That's the wonderful part, is that they gave you two little mini tortillas, these baby tortillas, that I had one with my meal. I saved one for today. I came downstairs this morning. I was like, what am I going to have for? Oh, my God, I have a tortilla. You guys give more free advertising away to restaurants. Listen, Jared, you go have the tortillas from Cafe Rio and report back to us, and you'll be thinking the same exact way. It's delicious. It's one of the best items and fast food in las vegas all right here we go the first bite well i know colin you know i've known colin you know since our days you know playing in the the whack conference which is no longer a thing uh, my gray hairs may start to you know make a point for that but um you know i, I remember our days back then and uh, you know just watching him and what he did in college and getting to know him and talking to him on the phone um, and things like that. I told you guys, I've loved my time with him. I think he's a you know, great guy. He's been great to be around. Um, I've enjoyed being around him, talking with him, uh, competing against him. Um, and so, like, they, Josh told me they were doing it and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I, I literally said the same thing I'm telling you. I was like, I've enjoyed my time around him. I love him. I got him and I would get along great. You know, my brother knew him a little bit from San Francisco. He's like, I love Colin. He's been, you know, he's awesome. Um, and so, I think Colin would just have to answer more questions than all of us would have to, you know, you know, wh- you know why hasn't it happened? Why this, why that? But for me, it would have been just fine. I, I enjoyed my time with him. That was Derek Carr yesterday talking about Colin Kaepernick. The Raiders gave Colin Kaepernick a workout uh, two weeks ago now. Uh, first NFL team to give him an individual workout since he last played in the NFL. Uh, Adam, what did you make of Derek Carr's uh comments about Colin Kaepernick what I thought was most interesting Tyler is that this is such a shift from everything we heard around the Raiders a few years ago right because the last time we were talking about Colin Kaepernick and Derek Carr and the Raiders we were talking about that fateful game in Washington in 2017 where there was reportedly and later confirmed by Mark Davis a lot of dissension in the Raiders locker room about who was going to stand and who wasn't going to stand for the anthem. And there's still murky details around all of that. But 
you know, Mark Davis essentially admitted that, yeah, that was tension that blew up the entire season. And now you have Derek Carr taking a leadership role for the team and coming right out and saying, I'm okay with him being here. And that's not something we've heard consistently from NFL players over the last few years, especially from captains of teams. So for Derek Carr to take that front standing role, I think just shows the maturity that he's gained over time and the acceptance that the whole idea of what Colin Kaepernick is standing for has gotten, or at least the understanding of it, if not the acceptance. So uh, what I found interesting, because you're not going to, I mean, most likely, you're not going to get absolutes from anybody in the NFL. You're not going to get somebody that comes out and says, Colin Kaepernick should not be on this team, and you're not going to get Colin Kaepernick should be on this team, right? Like, we got to sign him. You're not going to get Derek Carr to say either one of those things. He's just not that inflammatory of a guy when talking to the media. But what I found interesting is that he was positive about it, open to it, receptive to it. And I'm kind of curious, like, how much responsibility should actual players in the NFL have for talking about Colin Kaepernick and being okay with it, basically giving a a public, hey, this would be okay, a public approval of, yeah, perfectly fine if Colin Kaepernick was here. Like, how much should players be responsible for that? And how much does it actually matter if players are publicly approving yeah Colin Kaepernick on this team would be great I don't know that there's any sense of responsibility necessarily that has to be an individual choice for every player and I'm not talking about this the same way that you know I would about some other issues that have come up recently when it comes to players and what they should be responsible for like vaccination that's something where we're talking about the greater good overall Uh, there's room for disagreement over what Colin Kaepernick is choosing to stand for. Now, I happen to think that Colin Kaepernick is on the right path, and if other players want to stand up for that, then I think you start to ask the question. If you hear players like Derek Carr saying these things, you start to ask the question, well, then who's against it, right? Because if the players are okay with it, then you start looking farther up the food chain and saying who's really against this, right? Because... If the argument used to be that, well, this is going to tear up a locker room the way that it did in 2017 with the Raiders, then you kind of take that away. And you're sort of one by one stripping away the reasons for not having Colin Kaepernick around that don't have to do with football. And if he's getting a workout and he's able to get on a field, then that alone is saying, okay, well, we're going to at least acknowledge the fact that he might still have something to offer. So are we are we you say working up? the ladder there are we actually like pinching in from both sides because we know mark davis at least from his public comments is on board with colin kaepernick so are we working up and down the ladder at the same time well organization by organization but with the raiders obviously we are and the one person who has not been supportive publicly is josh mcdaniels and josh mcdaniels basically gave this sort of a non-story dismissal right in a way that i thought was not not even becoming of the situation. He'd just say, oh, yeah, we bring in all sorts of players to work out during the offseason. Don't screw with us, man. Like, like this is different. You know it's different. We all know it's different. Uh, it, meet, meet the moment. Meet the situation. And that, to me, suggests, okay, well, who is it that doesn't want to do this? Uh, we know that if we're pinching in on the Raiders situation, that that's where you start to look. 
on the player side of this and and i think your question is the right one how how many of them or which ones like who who actually kind of cares if colin kaepernick was their teammate i think there's a couple of things that probably play into that one just simply the passage of time colin kaepernick is not the hot button issue that he was four or five years ago it's 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 kind of died down a little bit now if a team actually signed him if he played in a game obviously that could all ramp right back up but as of right now he's not the main thing so i think passage of time makes a lot easier for Derek carr or somebody else to that but i think the other part of this is how many football players have not had a teammate kneel or kneel themselves right like i i feel like we've gotten to a point where pretty much every athlete has had a teammate kneel and so how are you going to come out vehemently against colin kaepernick or how are you going to say you don't want to play with him when you're probably playing with guys that have also kneeled for the anthem before at that point you're just taking colin kaepernick and saying ah we don't want to play with him because uh, people on twitter are more angry at him than my teammates that kneel too like i just i think we've got a bunch of reasons as to why now players would be perfectly fine and wouldn't have a big issue with it and also i mean Derek carr acknowledged in there that he's like, yeah, Colin Kaepernick would have to just answer more questions than we would. Hell, Derek Carr might welcome it because people want to talk to Colin Kaepernick more than him for a couple of weeks. Oh, without question. And that statement alone, the whole Colin would have to answer more questions than us. That, to me, is a really important thing to say because it shows you understand the gravity of this, right? Uh, Mark Davis has been very clear about how he feels about it. He's fine with it. He he signed off on it. And that's the difference from McDaniels, who, look, we're going to look at Josh McDaniels very closely for moments like this because the reason that Josh McDaniels failed last time as the head coach of the Denver Broncos, in his own words, he, he wasn't communicating very well with players in particular. And this to me isn't communicating directly with players, but it speaks to an understanding of do you get what's going on here, right? And you can't just wish away the controversial aspects of it. Like it doesn't work that way, um, and it especially doesn't work that way if you're someone where the controversial aspects of this speak right to the heart of why you didn't get the job done last time. If we're moving to like outside the Raiders organization, just other NFL teams in general, and like if we're moving up the ladder, if we kind of go with that, ah, most players wouldn't care if Colin Kaepernick was on their team. Why would coaches or general managers care? Like, it, I have to imagine if there's a coach or a GM out there that thinks Kaepernick is better than their backup, they'd be like, oh, that could help us win. That could help us be better. We should do that. Like, would they care simply because they think there's going to be enough? blowback from fans because they think people on like Twitter will be angry like why would coaching staffs care about not wanting Kaepernick on their team well I think we've seen whether it's Jack Del Rio or or others I think we've seen that you know there's there's a resistance to what comes with Colin Kaepernick and I think coaches and GMs and definitely owners in other places are going to be reticent to do anything that they think takes away from what's going to be going on in the field, right? And when I say what comes with Colin Kaepernick, I mean the attention that comes with Colin Kaepernick. Now, is that going to be long-lived? No, I don't think so at all. I, I think that, you know, that's going to be one of those things where you answer a bunch of questions the first couple of weeks and then everybody kind of moves on with it because at that point, once someone signs him, then 
you kind of accept that okay, like we're we're gonna get back to the football piece of this at some point. I like that, and that's the thing. Like as far as the news cycle goes, if if let's say the Raiders sign Colin Kaepernick, you would have um, a week, maybe two of oh. Colin Kaepernick signed by an NFL team. And then whenever Kaepernick actually talked to the media, that would set off a round of, of media stories about this. But then after that, it would be, okay, is he going to make the roster? And if he makes the roster, maybe you have a little bit there. And then honestly, it would be, okay, what's he do for the first national anthem? And then when he plays again, like that, to me, that's, that's not a lot. Like that's not a lot of uh, stuff you have to put up with where it's like, okay, we signed the guy. Is he going to make, What's he do for the first national anthem? And then when he, if he actually ends up playing in a game, that's like four instances over the course of a football season. That's not a significant amount of like, uh-oh, you're getting bad press, which most of it probably wouldn't even be bad. But that, Tyler, you're making my point. Like that, Tyler, is exactly why I think it's so important that if a player is speaking out that we start to squeeze tighter on who is it that doesn't want him here. Right. And that answer might be different in every organization. But when Derek Carr, as a captain of the Raiders, speaks up and says, yeah, I like Colin, like, you know, I'd welcome him here. And, you know, he just have to answer some questions. Right. If you start to get that throughout other organizations and we sure as hell know that players understand peer pressure. Right. And it's not like Derek Carr is some sort of, you know, elected social leader for all players. But when you hear players in prominent situations speak out well, then you understand that there are going to be other players who feel more comfortable doing that. And this is going to be an organizational choice, right? Like, I think the NFL knows at this point that standing in front of the Colin Kaepernick train is not something it wants to do the way that it clearly has in the past. And so now, if you're looking at it from the perspective of each team, there are 32 businesses that have a choice as to whether or not to sign Colin Kaepernick and the employees and managers of those businesses are going to be the ones who have to decide. All right, coming up next, the NBA Finals is back. Game three tonight, we'll get into why Clay Thompson is just like all of us. You know, I remember being in college, and when you go through a shooting slump, you just pull up, you know, the video guys would pull up a great game of when everything seemed in unison, your body was working so well, and that ball was just flowing off your fingertips. And, uh, gosh, I'll probably just YouTube Game 6 Clay because there's some very high pressurized situations I was in, and I ended up shooting the ball well. And when you can do it, when your back's against the wall, you know you can do it at any given moment. It's just about keeping that mental strong. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas featuring Adam Candy. I love the idea of Clay Thompson sitting at his laptop, pulling up YouTube, and just typing into the search bar, Game 6 Clay, to go watch a montage of what he has done in different Game 6s in his career. I, I'm pretty sure Clay Thompson is just like like a normal basketball fan who's like, yeah, I want to go watch some of the best moments of my favorite teams, except it's the best moments of him, not just his favorite team. There's probably, what, a, a 75, 80, 90% majority of athletes who do this. Right? Like, like I guarantee yeah. that whether it's just sports psych or whether it's ego, 
that they do that. Like, I want to believe this. Even if it's not true, I want to believe this. And so if I want to believe it hard enough, I bet it'll be true. It's it's great. I Because, like, I do that. Like, I'll pull up YouTube and type in some, try to find uh, some Of you on moment. Game 6? Yeah, me in Game uh, 6. Yeah, except you're... you're, you're yeah, it's your game me. six shooting is le- no. Your game six shooting is legendary. Everybody yeah. knows that. It's phenomenal. I love the Clay Thompson. I also love the idea to him that it's like trying to get out of a slump. He's he had he's ten of thirty three shooting uh, in the final so far. He has not played very well, and I love the idea that he's like, yeah, you know, when I'm not playing well, I just I, I pull up some highlights of me being awesome in the past, and yeah, it makes me feel good. I I love that this is like his slump buster because it doesn't even really. I mean. He kind of mentioned, yeah, back in college, like, video guys would pull it up, but it doesn't even really sound like a, yeah, I need to like figure something out. It see, feels more like, yeah, I just want to see myself make a bunch of shots and see how cool that is. Yeah, I mean, it's better than Mark Grace's slump buster, you know? I don't know what Mark Grace's slump buster is. You could go ahead and Google that one later, too. Okay, I will do just that. So, Clay Thompson is just like us. Uh, now, we still have more comments about Draymond Green and the lack of technical foul that he received. Grant Williams of the Celtics yesterday uh, talking to Yahoo Sports. He said this, by the rules, a tech is a tech regardless of the situation, but as players, all we want to see is consistency. When the refs decide not to give Dre a second tech, we expected it and moved on. We didn't harp on it. We just hope that grace is extended for everyone. We talked yesterday about sort of the line that Draymond Green has or or is trying to figure out every game and how refs are sort of reluctant to give somebody a second technical and kick them out. But I still found it interesting that Grant Williams would say when they didn't give him the tech that the Celtics expected it, that they're playing this game also with that understanding of, oh, they're not going to eject Draymond Green. Yeah, but he also made it clear by that statement that they're done with it and good on the Celtics for being done with it. If that's the way that they think that can help them out, right? They know they can't come out and criticize the officiating and subject themselves to a fine, but they can definitely say, we know that there's a different standard for this guy and they want the same standard. And if nothing else, they want the officials to be just as hesitant to put a second technical on them as they are on anybody else so now when you get to this game now are they going to be on a more level playing field i don't know but you have to believe that the league office takes notice when that sort of statement is made so we heard steve javi during the broadcast of game two he said that you have to consider one player has a technical foul is this type of thing something you do to eject a player and he said he wouldn't basically alluding to the fact that referees are going to be aware of who has a technical foul and that means they might might hand out technical fouls in a different manner to that player the rest of the game so we're going into game three draymond green probably got away with multiple technical foul worthy events in game two it's been a big talking point game going into game three what do you do if you're a referee like how are you more lenient or are you less lenient to draymond green in this game well, I want to go back to your point about Steve Javi because I think it's really important that you understand what he means by that. We talk about, as referees all the time, this very simple statement, know the consequences of your whistle, right? You need to know when you blow the whistle what it means. You don't change what you're going to do based on what the consequences of that whistle are, right? 
You don't say, oh, well, because I know it's a second technical, I'm not going to call that. No, but you need to understand what you're doing and ask yourself whether that was really the case, right? Like, do, do some referees, do some umpires, etc., right? Do they have the temptation to act emotionally? Of course they do. We're human beings, right? It, the temptation is always there, but you shouldn't be doing it and you especially shouldn't be doing it in a case where someone might end up out of the game because of the consequences of that so ultimately draymond green gets away with more than other players are allowed to get away with he has reset his own line and it's on the officials and it's on the league office above them if they want to change that do you think we're going to be in sort of like a no technical foul zone like it's going to be really hard for anybody to get one technical foul because the refs don't want to be in a spot where uh oh we kind of have to give that guy two technical fouls even if it's boston celtics players and not just Draymond green well here's the fun part both teams are out here talking about how they needed to be more physical right fourth quarter of game one Emi Odoka tells the celtics you're gonna go out there and let them push you around you're gonna get punked and they go out there and they shove the Warriors around. Well, the Warriors return in game two and they shove the Celtics around, right? So that's one thing the officials will definitely be aware of is, are we going to let this thing break down into a brawl? So what you could see, if they think that's the possibility, what you could see is an early double tech to someone and someone else who might not be the key players, or I mean, sometimes these situations just happen to present themselves, right? But what you could see is that you get something early called to kind of set the tone for everything. We also had the comment, uh, Ime Udoka, who said if it was me talking about game two, if he was a player, he said he would have gotten a double technical foul and gotten ejected. So you also have the coach basically saying like, oh, yeah, I, technical fouls. That, that would have happened to me. We were getting beat up out there. So I... I'm just fascinated by this, by what exactly the refs do and what exactly players get away with or don't get away with that. Because I, I think the situation that would probably cause the most outcry would be if a Boston Celtic got two technical fouls and got ejected. And if it was for something that was on par with Draymond Green, you know, yanking on Jalen Brown's shorts and getting it tangled up. Like, that would be fascinating to me to see a Celtic get ejected after all this talk about Draymond Green getting away with stuff if it was Boston that lost a player to a double tech. Oh, just to finish your point on Ime Udoka, uh, I'm going to do a little big sky basketball history here because Ime Udoka was a bad man when he played for Portland State. <laughs> like That was back when I was in school. Like that, I was shocked when I first saw him appear as a coach. I'm like, wait a minute, that dude from Portland State? I'm like, oh yeah, he was good. I wouldn't be surprised if if he were uh, telling the truth about that. So yeah, of course, people people are never going to feel like they're getting a fair shake from the officials. That is something we understand going into the whole thing. So what's the responsibility of the officials then to live up to that standard of fairness to the game? Right, we're there to serve the game. That's it. We're there to serve the game, and in the NBA especially, you're there to serve the entertainment product. And you need to make sure that you give the entertainment product a chance to breathe. Now, that goes two different ways, right? You can say, oh, well, you got to make sure the stars are on the floor. Fine. But if the stars are getting beaten up or the stars are the ones doing the beating up and they're creating a game that goes outside the rules, then you got to do something about that. Coming up next, Ed Graney joins the show. I should have known. 
you didn't like me. I don't think anybody likes you. Jared, if you put your hands up like that again, we're getting a new producer. I like me. It's the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Ed Grady joins us. Good morning, Ed. How were your binoculars yesterday? Uh, I had the largest pair because I couldn't find my small pair, so I had uh, a pair as big as my backpack, uh, which is weird because I thought it was like in Maverick Top Gun um, looking for fighter pilots. But, uh, yeah, they remain in my backpack, and they'll be out there again today. So are you are you looking like you're like hunting birds or something out there yeah, with your binoculars? Yeah, no, no, boar, hunting boar, <laughs> uh, not just birds. Um they're pretty large. They're for uh, like usually covering football games. Have a small pair and a large pair. Could not find a small pair yesterday, uh, so I had to go with a large pair. So uh, it didn't it didn't help much though. We're still uh, not seeing very much. And um, the biggest thing that happened yesterday is Josh Jacobs. You know, you go through the roster and see who's on the field or not. He wasn't on the field at least when we you know, looked out there. And so someone, I think Vinny might have said, no, it might have been Kevin Bolzer. That might be him. So we're, you know, you get the binoculars ready and you kind of zoom in on a guy. And I think it turned out to be the guy getting water for everybody. So it was not Josh Jacobs. So I said, I don't think he's one. And and Kevin said, no, that's not him. So we never really found him. But then we found afterwards he was inside working. I don't know if that means Richie Incognito on the treadmill. I don't know if it means he was in lifting weights. I don't don't really know what that means. Richie Incognito on the treadmill. We don't need that again, Ed. Well, we do because those were the days we were not seven football fields away. We were actually near the football field to where we could see in the in the uh, Richie Incognito treadmill in the weight room. Now, I couldn't tell you who's in the weight room to save my life. I have no idea. What's the point, Ed? Honestly, like, it, like, <laughs> like, and and I mean that. I mean that obviously with a little bit of sarcasm. But what do you think Josh McDaniels even thinks he's accomplishing by doing this? I I don't. I mean. I think he's the way he's always seen it. But, you know, Tyler and I have talked. I've never been at a Patriots practice. Now, we know who the head coach is and how he treats the media. The other day, are you inserting a new offense in Belichick? I don't know. So, he, I think in some ways he's tried not to be that way. As much as he doesn't give away anything in, in, in press conferences, he seems to do a little more than Belichick, just what we've seen on film from Belichick. We're not there every day, so it's kind of unfair to say that. But, you know, everyone talks about the Patriots' way. I I mean, I just, I don't know. This has to be part of it because you're like three football fields away. Even when they do stuff in the end, I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but they'll line players up across the field so you can't see over the players. I don't get it. I don't get, I don't get it. I think if you, and again, we've talked about this a million times, Adam. Nobody cares about the media. They don't care about any of this stuff. I know that. I get that. But from our perspective, to me, it's like, hey, you know, you can be here. If anyone tweets anything, if anyone is being said about like formation or anything like that, then it's over and you know we'll kick you completely out. And I think everyone would agree to that. Like even last year when you're with Gruden and you're much closer, I mean no one is tweeting out formations or anything. Like people are professionals there; they know what they can and can't do. Um, and now we know what we can and can't do because we're standing against the fence and hoping like heck in two hours the sun doesn't come over the fence because you have like a six inch sliver of shade. <laughs> and now you're like, uh oh. Are they almost done? Because the sun's almost over the fence. Uh, do you think uh, McDaniel's will say anything interesting the entire year? Not in the sense of what we want him to. Um, Tashawn asked him about Divine Diablo the other day if he had something you know going on, and the answer was yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, and I don't. 
you know, Gruden said more. Um, I'm not, you know, NFL coaches. I'm not around a lot of them, the ones we cover here. So I don't know who talks a lot, who doesn't. Um, I think most of them talk more about injuries, most of them, than, let's say, the Golden Knights or some, another, another league like that. But McDaniels doesn't seem to be one of them. So my guess is midway through the season, he's not going to change and start telling us a lot. Do you think that there's anything notable about Derek Carr being more forthcoming about the Colin Kaepernick situation than Josh McDaniels was? I just think, and we talked about this yesterday with Q, I just think that Derek Carr is a lot more comfortable in everything he's saying now. I think the last year of every, you know, whether it was his contract, whether it was Ruggs, whether it was Arnett, whether it was Gruden, whether everything that happened the last 12 months, yesterday I found him to be more comfortable more open uh, and, and a confident in himself and confident in his position on that team than I've ever seen. Like I, I so I just think the Kaepernick stuff, I don't, you know, I, I took it as genuine because I think he's completely confident in who he is now. And, and, you know, I know the contracts are one year out, but I just got the feeling and a lot of people in the room got the feeling yesterday that he was as kind of take a breath away, confident, you know, that, that we've ever seen him. And because in the last year, a lot of the questions, whether if it wasn't his contract, had to do something else and, and all the nonsense that went on with that franchise in the last 12 months. And yesterday was all about football. So, you know, I found it um, – uh, I mean, I found it genuine because I, 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 I do think I do think that he thinks he's the guy and is going to be the guy for a long time. Now, again, there's a one-year out, so we'll see if that happens. But um, I didn't find his Kaepernick stuff to be – disingenuous and and he might know more than and for all we know look for all we know he's been told look it's not happening we're not signing them it's you know it's not going to go down that road and then that makes yesterday's comments uh, you know all the more believable because he knows that um but i sure liked his quotes more than anyone else's because he's the only one who's really talked about it <laughs> do you think do, should we take Derek carr's comments about kaepernick as sort of a Team wide or player wide on the rosters approval of if they did sign Kaepernick that they wouldn't have much of a problem from the player standpoint with it. Yeah, I mean that if you're saying that he's saying that stuff um, just to say it, or you're saying he's saying that stuff because he already knows something's not going to happen. I mean, I believe that, and I don't think he would go out and say we'd welcome him if he if he thought there was going to be an issue in the program in the in the, in the room. Now, again, it was a very direct question from Paul Gutierrez, which I thought was a good question. So. You can have the other side and say, well, what else is he going to say? He's not going to say that it would be an issue. But, again, he seemed believable to me. I mean, he might. this might all be that he knows it's not happening. Um, that, that could very well be the situation. Um, but he seemed believable to me that it wouldn't be an issue. I, I think he has a good sense of the locker room. He's the captain. He, he, he knows what's going on in that locker room and who would accept and who wouldn't. Um, so I, I, I believe them. I mean, I just, again, it might be all – because he already knows it's not going to happen, you know they're not, they're not signing him, and you know why take you know why take a different opinion then if you already know that. The McDaniel's thing Ed, is is stands out to me because the way he handled the situation when you guys talked to him didn't seem to me to really meet the gravity of the moment, right? Like we understand what the Colin Kaepernick situation is for anyone who would have to deal with it in the NFL, and and his issue last time in Denver was communication. Now, not with the media as much as right, within right. the locker room, but it, he talked a lot about having grown up from that experience when he first got here. I, I know it's hard to judge when it's June 8th when the guy was hired a few months ago, but do you get the sense that 
he's going to be able to handle that communication part in a different way. With the media or with the with the team? Well, I mean, definitely with the team. And I guess what I'm saying is when you see how he handled that, like he knows the players are going to see what he said about Colin Kaepernick. He knows Derek Carr is going to see what he said about Colin Kaepernick. Like in the end, these things filter their way back. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think with the team, it's a wait in progress. With the media, I think we know how it's going to be. Um, and, and again, that's fine. He, you know, he doesn't have to treat the media differently. He, he shouldn't. He shouldn't treat the media the same as he does his players. The players are the most important thing in the room. Is the more important thing that they respect him and they believe him, and that they think he's being, you know, genuine with them. We, you know, we are going to get what we're going to get, and you know, you, that you understand that with a job, and you know, kind of move forward and try to do your best. Um, but when it comes to his players, I would hope he's learned. I would hope he's grown. Um, that's, you know, Adam, you're right. That's what he has said, you know, three or four times. He, he might have said it yesterday again. I don't remember every one of his quotes, but he definitely said it the first time we talked to him uh, in OTAs that he's felt he's grown and changed and learned a lot of lessons. So I would think, you know, as you said, communicating with his players would have been one of those main lessons that he learned. And um, I did, you know, it could have been. It could have been they worked them out and they knew the next day or they knew that day it wasn't going to happen. So they were going to, you know, the narrative was going to be what they wanted it to be. Now, you know, it still might be in play for all we know, along with all the other people they've worked out that we don't know about because, you know, nobody cares about the people who don't work out not named Colin Kaepernick. I'm sure I guarantee they've worked out guys since then, not necessarily quarterbacks, but uh, I do know they work out people all the time. It's just not Colin Kaepernick, which wouldn't make headlines. So, you know, I'll, in terms of him dealing with his players, I hope he's better. I hope he's learned a lot. And in terms of him dealing with us, I don't think that's going to change, and I don't think we should expect it to change on our end. All right, important question before we go. Did you see Deuce Gruden yesterday? I did not. I'm oh, going to look okay. again. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe I'm missing him because uh, my binoculars are not uh, you know, big enough. I need binoculars bigger than like my head. Uh, to see anything out there, um, but I'll I'll give you an update today. I did not. I don't know. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, I don't know. I did, I did not. I did not see the the deucer out there. Okay. But he I look forward. All I know. I don't know. I mean, I I we're trying our best through binoculars. I <laughs> I will say that uh, more than one person, more than Tashawn yesterday, picked up the binoculars. So there are there are several pairs out there now trying to see everything. I, I, our, our number one Deuce Gruden reporter in the field, Willie Ramirez, he told us that Deuce Gruden has a, a national weightlifting competition that's on June 10th. So that's two days away. So I'm, I'm curious if Deuce is training for that or if he's working out the Raider. Maybe he's inside with Josh Jacobs. He might be in stretching Josh Jacobs out to do some bench press. <laughs> uh, we, again, we would, not, uh, we would not know that, but I'll do my best today to see if I can see him. If he's two days out, for all we know, he's at the competition, and you got to arrive two days earlier. So if he's not there today, I would think maybe that's the situation. But that's a great question. If I don't find out today who's bringing players water, I will do my best to try to find out where Juice Gruden is. <laughs> all right. He's Ed Graney. We'll talk to him again tomorrow. Ed, thank you, you so it. much for joining us. Thanks. So Ed Graney live from Raiders practice. Um Adam, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Vic Tafer's tweet yesterday where he drew on a piece of paper to diagram how far away they were with three football fields being where the players were at versus where the media was actually watching practice. And I have many feelings about this, but the one that I feel the most strongly about, get them some freaking... Are you kidding me? <laughs> Make them stand out mm. there getting beaten down in 100 degrees. 
You wouldn't do that to anybody who's a guest at your facility. Stop it. Have, has, do you think we should get J.R. Starkus to give Ed his scaffolding? Yes. Oh, that is a great point. The scaffolding is not being used. Ed Graney needs it. He'll have the high ground and be able to see more than any other media member. This is this is a very good point. We need to get this set up for Ed. Coming up next, our resident referee is here, and we've got bad baseball umpires. might have seen him at your local YMCA arguing with a U-12 coach. Let's tee it up with Adam. Wait, it's a ref segment? Wouldn't it make more sense if it was a golf segment? Whatever. Let's tee it up with Adam Candy. Adam Candy is here to tell us when umpires are right and usually when they're wrong because we don't ask him many questions when they're right uh we're going to the world of college baseball today the uh, regionals for the ncaa tournament took place over the weekend super regionals coming up this weekend but two calls uh or two i guess one wasn't a call two incidents with umpires that i wanted to ask adam about first off we go to east carolina where east carolina was playing coastal carolina a three-run home run for east carolina batter hits it and he starts to admire his home run giving it a little look nothing egregious nothing you wouldn't see every day watching major league baseball or college baseball but as he's watching his home run about a second into him admiring it the home plate umpire comes up behind him hand on the back gives him a little bit of a push and you can read his lips yelling run 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 why would the umpire be telling a batter to run to first base instead of admiring his home run? Uh, very interesting way of phrasing the question there, counselor. Uh, there is no good reason for it. None. <laughs> Why would you ever, in a non-confrontational situation, if you're not trying to imminently save somebody from some sort of danger, or if someone, as you try to get into the middle of a fight, happens to contact you, why would you ever contact a player? Ever. You don't do it. You don't do it. We've talked. We've talked about it at every level that I have officiated. That nothing good can come out of you touching a player, ever, right? And so this situation, you watch the umpire go up behind him, and it's almost like he looks like he thinks he's doing it quietly, right? Like somewhat, like oh, I'm just going to put a little hand in his back, and I'll just, I'll just give him a couple of words so he moves on. The entire world is filmed in 2022. You, you just have to assume that, right? You, the entire world is on video. You knew it had to happen. You knew there was going to be video of this. That is not good. So, my, in all honesty, when I first saw this, my first thought was maybe there's a weird rule in college baseball where, like, you might get called out if you pimp your home run too much. But then I thought, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And eh, thought the umpire was being ridiculous. I think he was trying to police the game for, like, the Tony LaRusses of the world and thought that that would matter. Um, so that was fun. What was not fun for Maryland, uh, they were playing. And eighth inning, they're down by two runs. There's one out and a runner on third. The batter kind of chops the ball halfway up the first baseline the pitcher runs over grabs the ball makes a throw to first base but he's throwing it basically from foul territory at this point which means he's basically got to throw it either over or across or through 
the runner to get it to the first baseman. Well, what ends up happening here is the runner collides with the first baseman who is awkwardly trying to catch the ball and it's not a normal stretch into the infield. He's trying to catch it coming into the same path as the runner. They collide at first base. The first base umpire calls the runner safe at first because there wasn't an actual catch by the first baseman on the play. The runner came home and scored from third, but the home plate umpire comes in, overrules the first place, first base umpire, declares the runner is out going to first because he ran out of the baseline, and as a result, the runner who scored has to be sent back to third. What did you make of this call? It got reviewed, and that call stood. So college baseball-wise, I would guess that means it was the right call. All right. No one tuned into this show to hear me break down a college baseball. Play. I did. So I'm gonna give, I, I'm gonna give you, I did. You tuned in? So now I'm going to give you the theory behind something you just said. No official ever overrules another official. That does not exist. It does not happen. There is no such thing as an overrule. They have different things they're looking at on that play. And so the home plate umpire is the one who can see how did that runner establish a baseline and did he run in that baseline? And of course, the rules are different for first than they are for other bases, but they're watching different pieces of the play. So, you know, the first base umpire, his job is to figure out, like, was there a catch at first base and who got there first, the ball or the runner? So now you look at the rest of the situation and say, well, yeah, the runner has to go back to third in that case, right? And I don't envy them having to figure this stuff out because it's not like in basketball, oh, he stepped on the line and he's out of bounds, right? Like you're trying to make what are clearly judgment calls on this and that it's not good for anybody, but it's the best we have. Is the rule different in college baseball than Major League Baseball? Because in Major League Baseball, it's about the line the runner sets for himself running to first base. It's a Well, it's partially about the line the runner sets for himself. It, that is for second, for third, and for home in particular. When we talk about out of the baseline, right? How far out of the baseline did you go? That's the real question when it comes to that one. When we're talking about out of the baseline, running to second or third or home, then it's about the line that you established because you have the ability to say, I'm going to run on the edge of the grass all the way there. It's stupid, but you could. Uh, at first base, there is more to figure out here because of the fact that you could interfere with the first baseman in such a different way. Uh, do you believe baseball should have this the uh, extra bag for the runner to run through at first base? Oh, anything that would make it more like beer league softball would be perfect. I think instead of having it, it shouldn't have an extra bag. It should have that flat orange base that we used to play yes. force, yeah, yeah. you know, like kickball with, right? Like, and if you hit the extra base on the outside, like you, you should, you know, not be able to steal or have some penalty applied to you. <laughs> See, I, we just need more rules. More fun rules would make baseball fun. May, let guys take a drink of beer before they step up to the plate.